Good evening, and welcome to another episode of Midnight Audio Theater, the weekly show where we bring you new and original audio dramas, be they adventure, mystery, sci-fi, or comedy. I'm your host, Kathy Vanilla. And hello, audio drama fans. It's another night of blackjack justice as our script writing competition deadline is drawing very near. The last day to send in your stories for consideration is Sunday, February 4th by 11 p.m. Central Time. We've gotten several submissions so far, but we still want to hear from you. No age, location, writing experience, or genre restrictions. If it's 20 pages max in length, no more than four central characters, and meets our FCC language restrictions, you're pretty much set. Check out our competition page through our website at midnightaudiotheater.com for full rules and guidelines, our submission portal, and other helpful information. Our judges will read, review, and score all submissions after the deadline is passed, and the winners of the competition will be announced by the end of the month. And if you live in Columbus, Ohio, keep both your eyes and ears peeled around that time. We'll be holding our auditions for voice actors to perform the roles in our script competition winners' productions at the beginning of March. More details to come on our website once winners have been chosen, so stay tuned. Now it's time to rejoin that Sultan of Sleuthing, Jack Justice, and Trixie Dixon, Girl Detective, in two episodes from Season 6 of Black Jack Justice, brought to you by Decoder Ring Theater. Tonight, it's Episodes 40 and 41, The Albatross, and Man's Best Friend. Enjoy. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that Sultan of Sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack Justice. There are, I'm sure, vocations where the one that got away is a less grating prospect than in the detecting business. Fishermen, for example, seem to thrive on the notion... Come to think of it, I should probably learn to fish. Any activity where having almost caught something is a subject fit to brag about is one that Jack Justice could truly excel in. Why, I had lost count of the malefactors that I had almost caught, and done it almost single-handed. All fun aside, it is the nature of what we do. No detective, public or private, could expect to solve every case, and more than we'd care to mention simply peter away without a definitive result of any kind. Even when a real resolution is reached, often we're out of the room for the end of the story. We've moved on. We're up to our necks in another mess by the time the players have all got their just desserts. You learn to just let it go. But for every detective, there are those cases that you can't stop playing over and over. They ended badly, or unhappily, or worst of all, sometimes they didn't end at all. And for some reason, you couldn't put it on the shelf with the others. They hung around your neck and weighed you down, always with the idea that you could have done more. That somehow, if you'd just been a little bit faster, a little stronger, a little smarter, maybe it wasn't true. We weren't like the mask and tights set that were all the rage in the comic books. Leaping over tall buildings in a single bound was not my speed. And if anyone who'd hired me over the years had the contrary impression, I was just their own too darn bad. I knew all that. But I also knew the weight of those failures. Those images I'd never get out of my head. I'd have given a lot to have just one of those lifted from my shoulders. Maybe that's why we rode this one as far as we did. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We're not there just yet. We're still in the stylish offices of Justice and Dixon, 
I'm the strapping fellow in the short sleeves and the suspenders looking industrious over the crossword puzzle. You all know the blonde at the next desk, shooting me hateful looks of resentment. Trixie hates it when I get the puzzle first. Uh Uh-oh. Whatever it was, I didn't do it. Well, well. Lieutenant Sabian, to what do we owe the pleasure? He did it. He did it, and I will testify to it in court as soon as you tell me what it is that he did. Miss Dixon would prefer not to be arrested just now. She has a date tonight about which she is characteristically cagey, but she seems fairly serious about it. Swear on my Aunt Minnie's eyes, it was Jack. I'm completely innocent, or at least not guilty, of this, whatever it is. I didn't see any notices in the shipping news, but something must have just got into port. Did you just pop around to loom in the doorway, Lieutenant, or are you going to come in before you arrest Jack? You two should take this little act on the road, you know that? Catskills? If you can't find anywhere farther away that'll take you... You did know what brand of crazy we serve over here when you came up the stairs, didn't you? I guess I did. Coffee on? What, are you new here? I'll see if I can find you a clean cup. What's in the bag, Sabian? Hmm? Oh, uh, a few sinkers. Not bad. Uh Uh-oh. What? Lieutenant, we have been... whatever it is we are for more years than I care to recall... And in all that time, you have never brought me a bag of donuts. This must be serious. Mm, he's right, though. He's not bad. Trixie! What? Beware of Greeks bearing gifts. I look Greek to you? There you have it. You're not worried about eating that before your big date? I'll work it off later. Oh, that I did not need to know. Get your mind out of the gutter. I meant I'm going dancing. Is that a euphemism for something filthy? Gosh, I hope so. You two do know that I'm standing right here, right? Sit down before you fall down, dear lieutenant. Here is your coffee. The beans are mostly Mexican, light in color, but with a subtle whiny note. Thanks. That's it? I pitch you a quality softball like that and all I get is thanks? Sorry. On the subject of coffee, you're a complete Nancy. And thanks. Can we talk now? Okay, now this does sound serious. You two comedians ever hear of Laverne Adams? Some reason why we should? Maybe. Nobody else seems to think so, but maybe. Okay, shoot. Kind of an unfortunate choice of words, Dixon. It's just what somebody did about six weeks ago. Oh. I don't remember seeing anything in the papers. Didn't get much mileage with the society reporters. It happened out in Meadowview. Oh, one of the more ironically named slums within the city limits. The girl was black. Laverne, or Miss Adams, and yes, she was. She was also 17 and pregnant. About seven months along, according to the M.E. I take it from the girl's age there was no Mr. Adams. There was not, and stop calling her the girl. The baby's father a suspect? Everybody's a suspect. And no one is. What does that mean? Miss Adams was on the sixth floor of 226 Cedar Street, apartment 618, which was officially vacant but looked lived in to me. The few folks in the building that would actually talk to us said they knew Laverne from the neighborhood, but nobody remembered her ever being in the building before. Nobody knew a thing about apartment 618. Nobody even heard the gunshots. Nobody knew much. Astounding. Miss Adams' mother had thrown her out when she got pregnant. She was staying mostly at a downtown mission some nuns have set up. Nice enough place, I guess, if you got no place else to go. If Laverne knew who the baby's father was, she never told a soul. The sisters don't know why Laverne would have gone to 226 Cedar, or even if she had before. They try not to make so many rules that the girls feel like they have to run away from the mission. It's bad out there. So in their own way, they don't know much either. You know what would go with these sinkers? Bourbon. Yes? Yes. Two here. Girl gets shot in a ghetto. Not big news, I guess. Doesn't seem like there's much reason for anybody to care. But? But somebody cared about it enough to put 538 slugs into her. 
There's no robbery, no assault, no reason I can see to shoot her in the first place, and no reason in the world to keep shooting her unless you needed to be very, very sure that she was dead and the baby too. Oh, yeah? Two in the head and neck, three in the abdomen. How did this not make the papers? Too many euphemisms for one article. Black, unmarried, pregnant. Too many words to write around. The papers didn't run it because the papers didn't care. The papers didn't care because the readers wouldn't care. The readers wouldn't care because they'd skim the article and shake their heads and say, isn't it awful and someone should do something. They think these things just happen. Sometimes they do. No, they don't. Bullets don't just fly through the air at close range of their own volition and kill teenaged girls. People make them do that and people do things for a reason. Guns cost money. Bullets cost money. Anybody that had a reason to be in 226 Cedar didn't have money to throw away. They wanted this done. I don't think I have to ask if you'd had any luck. Nothing. Not a sound. Not a whisper. Like she was never even there. Then I see a line in the Emmy's report I don't understand, so I get him on the horn. Laverne Adams was dark. She was real dark. The baby? Not so much. It wouldn't have passed, he says, but there was a significant difference in the pigmentation between mother and child. Sometimes that's the way that it happens. You an expert? I am not. Neither was the M.E. I told him to find somebody that was. The next day, the calls started. My precinct captain, the commissioner's office, the mayor's office, the commissioner himself. Every day, somebody new calling me up and telling me to let it go. Said I was taking it personal. Move on. It's not bad advice. I've given it more than once, and I've needed it pretty often, too. This ain't like that. Lieutenant, it's pretty clear this one's been giving you a bad time. If you'd have seen her... If you'd have been the one that took the call, you wouldn't let it go, either. There's something screwy about this. Something wrong about this. I can't walk away. But you've been ordered to. In so many words. Yesterday. The investigation hasn't been closed, but homicide is off it. I'm off it. Homicide's off it. Who's on it? Nobody gives a damn. Except you. Except me, and I'm stonewalled. So what happens now? You get 35 a day? What? 39, plus expenses. The department is outsourcing murder now? Not the department. Me. I got a week's worth at 35, and I don't got the expenses. Take my word for it. That's all I can raise. All right, done. Wait a second. This is wrong for all sorts of reasons. Oh, come on. You're in a bad place right now. I can't take your money. Everybody says there's nothing to find. Maybe there's nothing to find. You can't let this stuff eat away at you. <laughs> You're a fine one to talk. I caught you with the Moretti file the other day. That's different. Moretti? Stanley Moretti, the poisoner? Alleged poisoner. Tried, convicted, and executed poisoner, actually. How long ago was that? This is my point. We'll see what we can turn up, Vic, and we'll do it quietly. And so it began. Sabian left us with a copy of the police report. It was thick as a phone book. The phone book of a very small town in the Midwest somewhere, maybe. But still, it wasn't hard to see why Mucky Mucks in the department might think the good lieutenant was taking this personally. He'd had his men out canvassing for weeks, talking to scared, hostile people that didn't know a thing and wouldn't talk if they did. We stopped by the scene of the crime. To say that the two of us stood out on Cedar Street was putting it mildly, but we found number 226 all right. There were buzzers at the front that didn't look like they'd worked since before the war, but the security door was propped open with a chair, and that appeared to be the usual arrangement. We ran into a fair amount of traffic coming up the front stairs, but once we were up on 6th, we could see that two doors down from 618, there was a set of fire stairs that were quiet as the grave and ran all the way down to a back door with a busted lock. This was good and bad. 
It meant that Sabian's conspiracy theories weren't completely blown out of the water, but it did also mean that we had just narrowed down the list of possible suspects to the entire city and surrounding environs. It didn't take more than a few seconds to work the lock on 618. The room had been stripped since the police seal had been taken from the door, and whatever furnishings had made the room look inhabited when Laverne Adams was discovered were long gone. It was just an empty room. Having absolutely no better ideas, old Square Jaw and I did exactly what Sabian's bulls had done. Knocked on doors, talked to people, had doors shut in our faces. We were only two to the dozens that Sabian had on the job, which meant not only were we getting nowhere, we were getting there a lot slower. By the time Jack met me at the sandwich place on the second day, he was starting to get a little discouraged. I quit. Don't get excited. I mean it. I've had it with this. Do you know how many times I've been called whitefish today already? And that's just the one I can say without getting kicked out of the lunch counter. This is pointless. I was thinking the very same thing. The people that didn't know anything six weeks ago know even less now. And it's impossible to tell them from the ones that know something and won't say. You're right. We're just going over the same ground Sabian did and not even doing as good a job of it. I agree. So we're off the case. No. I hate you. No. Not you. Don't go away. I'll have the chicken salad on toast with extra onion and a coffee. Black. Thanks. Friendly place. Nobody wants us here. I don't even want us here. If Sabian wanted a better canvas, why didn't he go to a black private eye? Maybe he didn't know any. What about Jim Rutherford at Quince's? Maybe he didn't trust any. What about old Teddy Spence, most honest man in the business? Maybe he didn't give a damn about the canvas. What? You saw what I saw back at 226. Odds are the shooter came up the back stairs. Odds are Laverne came up the back stairs, too. We could get Paul Robeson and Jackie Robinson to do the canvas. Odds are we'd still come up goose eggs. Then what? Sabian didn't bring us in to check his work for him. His new theory is that the father was white. White and presumably eager not to father a child by an underage black girl. And since Papa had already failed to exercise that option when it counted, he took matters into his own hands. So he furnished the room that wasn't supposed to be his... What, a love nest? Could be. If that room was rented on the sly to a white man, you think the super at 226 would protect him? I do not. So what then? Look, it's not my theory, it's Sabian's. But he hired us to follow it up. And whose fault is that? Oh, come on. I mean it. I've seen this kind of thing before. This case has got him, and it's got him bad. I don't know if there's any way we could help him get through it, but taking his money to chase his wild geese for him doesn't seem like the milk of human kindness to me. If we can find Laverne Adams' killer... Stop it! You saw the crime scene pictures, Jack. You think it wouldn't get to you? Another on the long list of reasons I'm not a cop. Look, when a man gets dragged down by a case this bad, it can affect his judgment. It affects everything. My old partner called things like this an albatross, a thing you can't forget that hangs around your neck forever. This is the old partner that you shot? So it's a particularly ironic example, yeah. Maybe it's enough if we run a few yards with his theory. If it turns out that there's nothing to it, at least he saw it through, did what he could. Maybe. So, for the sake of argument, Laverne Adams was having a baby with a white man. Where in blazes did she find one of those around here? We need to find out more about who she was before. Any word from the mother? Only that her little girl was dead to her when she ruined her life. I don't think she knows a thing. And this is how she hides her shame about that. Well, somebody must know something. Let's hope that the killer isn't the only one. Or this isn't going to end well for Miss Adams. Or for Sabian. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. I 
I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere. My world was defined by its borders, its landmarks. I grant you, the ten miles to the next outpost of civilization tended to restrict the movements of the young folks, but in spite of the fact that she had lived every day of her life in the big bad city, Laverne Adams' world wasn't any bigger. Neither she nor her mother ever owned a car. The city buses that ran through the Meadowview district could have carried her into a world vastly different to the one in which she lived. But she wouldn't have found it welcoming. Many of those businesses would have viewed her with suspicion or hostility because of her skin. And those that wouldn't have would define their worldview as, I don't care from black or white as long as they have the green. Laverne Adams did not have the green. In its own way, Meadowview was a small town, as isolated as the one I'd left behind was. The people who inhabited that world with her wouldn't talk to white cops and didn't see us as anything all that different. But Sabian had hired us because he figured that the girl, Laverne, had a secret. And finding the key to that secret meant finding out where or when she stepped over the borders of her little world and just who might have found her when she did. At last, on the third day, we caught a break. Laverne Adams had been staying at a mission run by some well-meaning nuns whose official spokesister had nothing to contribute to the investigation. The girl detective found a much less official line. Sister Claire probably wasn't as mousy as she seemed. She met us in a coffee shop ten blocks from the mission and checked over her shoulders a dozen times to make sure that she wasn't being observed. I had no idea nuns lived such interesting clandestine lives. I'm sorry to make you come all the way out here, but as I told Miss Dixon, Sister Margaret wouldn't like me talking to you. Why not, if it helps solve the murder of one of your girls? Sister Margaret would say that there is now nothing anyone can contribute that could prevent the murder of Laverne Adams, and that punishment is best left to God. She feels that we cannot help the girls who come to us if they feel that we will tell their secrets to the police. We're not the police. I know, but they wouldn't see the distinction. I know it might seem naive to you, but it is difficult work, and we can't afford to give up any advantage. These girls are fragile, ashamed. They all see their lives as something close to hopeless, they can't imagine taking care of a child, and they have no means of support. If we can save even one... Do you save many? No, I suppose we don't. We help them as best as we can for as long as we can, but in the end, they're in God's hands. You drop the ball with Laverne. That's unfair, and I believe that you know it is. To blame him for the act of an evil man is to deny free will. Well, we can't have that. What can you tell us about Laverne? She was special. That's... That's why I had to talk to you. She was so bright. So hopeful that her life could be something more than it had been so far, even with a baby. She have any plan in particular? <laughs> she had lots of plans. Most of them seemed quite fantastic, but she threw her heart into each of them. But it wasn't just talk. She she tried things. Things that most girls her age from a poor background never would. For instance? Well, I remember her telling me about working on the last election, locally. She was knocking on doors, handing out pamphlets. It really inspired her to be part of something larger than herself. What campaign was it? Oh, I don't know, I'm afraid. 
councilman. Mr. Chapman would know. Who's Mr. Chapman? Lawrence Chapman. He's a community organizer. He works to get young people in the Meadowview District involved in the community, in politics especially. Laverne said he was very successful with the last campaign. The Meadowview turnout was a big part in carrying the election. They won? Oh, yes. Oh, she was still so proud. Peter Green's ward includes Meadowview. Green, yes. That was the name. Laverne still have any contact with Lawrence Chapman? I think so. Though it isn't the sort of thing we really encourage, so she didn't feel as free to talk about it. Oh, she was such a dear girl. Is there anything else I can tell you? We shook our heads, thanked her for her time, and let her off the hook. It played. It didn't sing and dance, but it played. Councilman Green had won his seat by the skin of his teeth, but it was his now, and his office was highly enough placed. If Lawrence Chapman had played a part in that victory, it made sense that he might still work for Green. And if Green's community organizer told him that the police were upsetting the voters of Meadowview with their investigation, it just might be enough heat to shut down Sabian's investigation. It played, but only because we really, really wanted it to. We needed something to hang our hats on before we could go to Sabian. Right now, we had a pocket full of nothing. But if we went to Chapman, he might turtle and run. Or worse... He might bring down still more heat on Sabian, and he was too close to full pension for me to do that to him without good reason, even if he didn't give a damn about that right now. The Green campaign was where the Adams girl stepped out of her little world. Chapman had the connections and the influence to fit the black hat, if you'll excuse the obvious and unintentional pun. But somehow we had to tie Chapman to the place where Laverne's world ended. We stopped at a drugstore and I telephoned the super at 226 Cedar Street, told him I had orders from Lawrence Chapman to pick up the last of his belongings from the sixth floor, and when would he be available to open the door for me. The super informed me curtly that all of Mr. Chapman's furnishings had already been picked up, and that he had supervised the move himself. If there was anything missing, it must have been my company that lost it, and Mr. Chapman knew that he could be trusted. I apologized and hung up. We had our answer. Lawrence Chapman. Lawrence Chapman. Yes. He had the connection with the girl and the influence to shut you down. Lawrence Chapman. The room was his, Vic. You drag the super in here, he'll spill eventually. What's this? Lawrence Chapman's file. Why does he have a file? Why do people usually have a file on my desk? Oh, no. Lawrence Chapman was mugged last night. Maybe he tried to run, maybe he recognized his mugger... Maybe it's just another one of those things that happens in Meadowview. Maybe it's just desserts for Laverne Adams. Yeah, I have one little problem with your stupid theory. See the crime scene photos? Oh. Yeah. Hmm. Lawrence Chapman was a little blacker than I would expect the white father of Laverne Adams' baby to be. He really was. Let me see that file. It still plays. Was he married? Not married, no family. He could have lost a job in Councilman Green's office. He didn't work for Green. He worked for the campaign, but he wasn't on staff. He freelanced, organized for other events, causes. I'm sure he still had contact with Green, but I'm not sure I buy him having this much influence. There isn't an election on right now, is there? Forgive her. If I get the puzzle, she doesn't get to read the paper at all. Drop dead ape. It was a rhetorical question. My point is, if there's no election, what kind of freelancing is Chapman doing that he has 500 bucks on him? What? Yeah, I saw that. His wallet was gone, but the thief missed five $100 bills, 
folded up in his inside jacket pocket. Which he got how? I don't know. I do know nobody saw the shooter, nobody saw it go down. Chapman got two in the back and was dead before anybody found him. Two what? Shots? Yeah, thirty-eight. Same caliber as the girl. I warned you about calling her that. You know how many thirty-eights there are in the city? You're a police lieutenant. You can't do a little better than that. I could try and get ballistics to compare the slugs from the Chapman killing to the ones took out of Laverne Adams, but the odds are good they'd call the commissioner as soon as I got off the phone. I'm on the outside, and that's the way it's going to stay if we don't get something good. Yeah. So we better get right on that. I got parking tickets that need fixing. Who are you calling? Yes. Could you connect me to Councilman Green's office, please? Thank you. I think I hate this. Yes. Hello. I wonder if I might speak to the councilman. Of course he is. May I leave a message? Thank you. Just tell Councilman Green that the gentleman who is taking over from Lawrence Chapman called, and would he please meet me this evening at nine o'clock? No, I'm quite certain that he will find the time. No, no number. Just tell him to meet me at two twenty-six Cedar Street. Thank you. What did you just do? Let's find out, shall we? Come in, Councilman Peter Green. I presume you look taller on your posters. Everybody does. <laughs> do I know you? The name's Justice, Jack Justice. Would you like to sit down? Thank you. Prefer to stand. Just as well. Mr. Chapman had all of the furniture cleared out before he died. Yes, I heard about that. <laughs> It was a terrible thing. Positively tragic. Councilman Green, allow me to introduce my associate, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Two of you. Safety in numbers. I don't feel comfortable coming up to your little love nest without a chaperone. What are you talking about? I've never been here before in my life. Then how did you know to come up to room six eighteen? Mister Justice didn't mention that in his message.、Uh, I knew Lawrence kept a room here. He spoke of it sometimes. Lots of guys share the full address of their hidden dens of iniquity. Besides, why wouldn't Chapman have taken the girl to his apartment? He lived alone. What girl? What girl? See how good he is, Trix. He's very good. Very, very good. We mean Laverne Adams, one of Chapman's recruits. In more ways than one. Bright girl worked on the campaign. Perhaps you remember getting her pregnant. This is preposterous. No bluffing, Pete. No dancing. No filibustering. We know. And even if we can't prove it, you think we can't find a paper to run with it? You think if we turn your life upside down, we won't find a disgruntled former staffer who'll swear that Councilman Green had a thing for young girls, the blacker the better? I don't think this is your first rodeo, though it might be the first time you ever resorted to murder. Murder? I'm gonna smack that little smirk off his face soon. You can't prove anything. We don't need to exceed reasonable doubt, Green. We aren't the law. I told your girl who we are. We are the folks that are taking over from Lawrence Chapman. So it's to be blackmail. It is. Chapman was getting five hundred. We get the same. Each, each. Are you out of your minds? How am I supposed to come up with that kind of money? I don't care where you get it, Pete. Just get it, or you're finished. Maybe. Maybe there's another way. Nice little thirty-eight he's got there, Jack. It really is. How much would you bet it's the same one he shot Laverne and Chapman with? Laverne was a sweet girl. I felt bad about that, but she just didn't understand. She insisted on having the baby. She didn't understand. I'd have taken care of everything. She'd have been looked after, just like just like all of the others. Think we could find any of those girls, Jack? 
You won't be finding anyone. And then Chapman stepped forward. He'd not only run your campaign in Meadowview, he'd arranged for your little private room here, handled the introductions, but he drew the line at murder. He drew the line at nothing. If he objected to what happened to the Adams girl, he'd have called the police. But he kept quiet, paid off the super to keep mum, and then he named his price. But it never would have been enough. I'd have never been free. And now it's over. Now, <laughs> now Meadowview claims two more tragic victims. It'll be hard to keep this out of the papers. Both victims are white, after all. But in the end, the electorate will remember that they don't really care about anyone who would be in such a terrible place. It's also very sad. Somebody should really do something. I've heard enough. Finally. What? Freeze it, Green. Don't move a muscle. I'm dropping the gun. I said freeze. Point the gun at the ceiling and keep perfectly still. Oh, God. Played it a little close there, Vic. To keep back. What's happening? You're under arrest. I didn't say that. Sabian? Sabian? You're, you're that cop. Not tonight, Green. Sabian, not like this. Here's how we're going to play this. I'm going to step back here. And I'm going to lower my gun arm. In a minute, I'm going to yell, Police, drop the gun. Loud. So the whole building can hear. Oh, God. Please. And that's your big chance, Green. Your only way out of here. Through me. It's no kind of chance at all, but more than you gave that little girl. Help me. Shut up! Sabian. You stay out of this, Justice. You did good. Now just shut up a minute. We got a murder weapon and witnesses to a confession, Vic. And we all know there's a chance he walks away. There won't be a single person on his jury that gives a damn about Laverne Adams or her baby. If it happens, we'll settle his hash then. And I say we'll do it now. Police! Drop the gun! Oh, God! Turn around. Do it! Please! Sabian, if you want to splatter this scumbag's brains, I'm not going to stop you. We're not going to squawk, and we won't even think any less of you afterwards. If you kill Green because you reckon he deserves it, or because you don't trust the courts, or even just because you think Laverne Adams would want you to, that's fine with me. But if you're doing it so you won't have to see her lying on the floor when you close your eyes anymore, don't bother. It doesn't work that way. You'll only add this piece of garbage to your worries. One more albatross around your neck. But it's up to you. Go call the station. And some reporters. Before this is done, Green, I'll make you wish you tried to take that shot. And that was how it went. It was all over the papers, but Sabian was a good soldier. He never said a word against his superiors. They pinned a medal on his chest for that one. I went to the ceremony. I've never seen a grown man look more uncomfortable. Green got life, which probably seems generous to some, but something told me that the prison yard wouldn't be the safest place for him. And that should have been the end of it. Except two days after the trial ended... Sabian walked into the office, threw a police file on my desk, and sat down in the client chair. I opened it. It was the Moretti poisoning. The complete file that I'd never been able to get my hands on. I didn't see anything new, just the state's evidence that Stanley Moretti had poisoned his neighbor, Clarence Dobbs. But then I saw the suicide note Mrs. Dobbs had left. Everyone assumed that she had killed herself out of grief for her husband. There wasn't supposed to have been a note. But there was. In it, 
Mrs. Dobbs told the complete story of her four-year affair with Stanley Moretti and how she helped him plan her husband's murder. The DA had sat on it, got his conviction without it, so the Dobbs' children would still have the memory of their mother. I read the whole thing twice. Then I handed it back to Sabian and he left. Never said a word. Stanley Moretti was guilty. I'd been wrong all these years, and there wasn't anything I could have done to save him. It was like a weight lifted off my shoulders that had been there for so long, it had almost become a part of me. There were more. More than I can clear in a lifetime. But that one was gone. I hoped Sabian would be free of his one day. It was a nice feeling. Blackjack Justice, episode 40, The Albatross, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Clarissa Dunetterlanden, Peter Nickel, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Junior. King Junior. But it's been longer than I can remember since anybody called me that. I fight crime. It's what I've always done. I'm a dog. It was a day like any other as I lay on my back by the radiator in my office, waiting for trouble to spill through the door like a bad stain, leaking off the papers of law and order. Some days, it just didn't pay to get out of the cardboard box in the corner. It looked like this might be one of them. I pulled my ears down tight and tried to let the gentle hiss of the heater lull me back to sleep. But the woman's voice made it nearly impossible. I had tried to like my assistant's new lady friend. Truth be told, she seemed like a nice girl. But she had a bad habit of sitting in my spot beside him on the couch. And he had developed a tendency to spend less time scratching my ears when she was around. And that made it difficult. Sure. I liked to see the big lug happy, but I couldn't help but wait for the other shoe to drop. After a while, I gave up on my early afternoon nap and decided to tough it out until mid-afternoon siesta. It was about then that the door opened and my girl Friday came in, looking flustered. Hi, Trixie. Oh, hi, Dot. You dumped this loser yet? Are you ever going to get tired of that line? Who says it's a line? Listen, kid, if you can stand to tough it out until next Tuesday, I've got the next three days in the pool. I'll see what I can do. I better get going. Don't leave on my account. It's all right. I just stopped by for lunch. I've got late shift tonight, but I'm done at ten. See if you can't keep him out of trouble that long, would you? Can't make any promises past five o'clock. No late case work? No case of any kind. Or work, for that matter. Good thing I stopped by with lunch. It really is. Do you ever feed scraps to King? Scraps? You mean the butt end of your sandwich that I've been eyeing since you set it down? Get off. I'm trying to butter him up. I don't think he likes me. He likes you fine. Gimme. <laughs> you get plenty of buttering up, thank you very much. Careful. I did just eat, you know. Come here, King. 
Here, fella. If you really want to butter him up, you wouldn't make him get up. Oh, for Pete's sake. How did you make this poor dog so lazy? He's not lazy. He's thinking great thoughts. There you go. All right, be careful. I have no plans to need to be careful. King, make him be careful. I tried to answer in the affirmative, but my mouth was still occupied with a bit of meatloaf sandwich. Maybe this one was all right after all. She blew my assistant a kiss and breezed out the door, leaving him wearing that pleased-with-himself expression that was starting to be too familiar on his face. Don't go looking like it just did something clever. The poor girl is deluded, that's all. She'll come to her senses any day now. I don't want to argue about this. I'm making coffee. Better put it in a paper cup, Peaches. We got things to do. A case? Not exactly. Well, we can call it that if you'd like. I think I hate this already. Don't get excited. When is a case not quite a case? When there's no client. Brilliant, Holmes. You've done it again. No client, no paycheck, remember? I'm just showing a little initiative. Look at this. What's this? The Gazette. I've seen it. Not this you haven't. It's an extra. An extra? Nobody does that anymore. Tricks, there's a morning Gazette and an evening Gazette. And today, there's this. Who runs an extra these days? The Gazette does, when the publisher's daughter goes missing. What? Sarah Brindle kidnapped. I didn't know they still made typeset that large. Read, Shecky. Read. Sarah Brindle, the teenage heir to the Brindle Publishing Empire, whose assets include this newspaper, is missing at this hour and presumed kidnapped. Royce and Brindle called for the immediate release. Yada yada, dastardly cowards, yada yada. This is kind of a lot of hyperbole to cut through with two meatloaf sandwiches competing with my brain for blood flow. Just a couple more lines, flyboy. Uh, $15,000 reward for her safe return. Is this what you're salivating over? In fact, it is. Get your hat. Tricks. I like chasing the occasional posted reward as much as the next fella, but kidnapping? Sabian's going to be all over this. He'll have the feds muscling in within the hour. We'll have no access to the crime scene, no physical evidence. I don't mind tilting at windmills, but I prefer there to be a fee in there somewhere. Okay, Mr. Master Detective. Here's what you missed in all your yada yada yadas. There's been no ransom demand. No word at all. Brindle's paper is screaming kidnapping, and he's a heavy enough hitter that the cops will have to pick up on the tune. The girl is six months shy of her 18th birthday, so this ain't exactly the Lindbergh baby. She is described as a perfect angel. Daddy's little sweetheart. Here's a picture of her at a ball last season. Yowza. That's a lot of talent to waste on a perfect angel. Jack, I know a little hellcat dressed up like a good girl when I see one. Used to be a... Hobby of mine, too. I just didn't have the cotillion budget that Sarah Brindle does. What are you saying? That she kidnapped herself? Or ran off, or did something else stupid, but far, far less dramatic. Kind of a leap, isn't it? Sure. But if she's actually been kidnapped, Sabian will find her, or the feds will find her, or she'll be mailed back to Daddy in 16 separate envelopes. We lose an afternoon sleep. But if I'm right... I'll leash up the mighty king. And so it was that, over my strenuous objections, we left the office at 1.15 in the afternoon and proceeded by car to the Westbridge District, where the streets were wide and tree-lined and you were more likely to run into a poodle trimmed like a sideshow freak than a good honest mutt. The assistant in the Girl Friday pulled me along to the Havshire School, where until recent events forced her absence from class, young Sarah Brindle was a student. I have always disliked schools. They were, at best, full of overly excited household apes with a tendency to pull my tail and talk all at once. If anything, high schools were worse. For an animal with a finely tuned sense of smell like myself, the presence of that much highly concentrated hormones, pheromones, and sweat made for a deeply unpleasant experience. You would think that the Havshire School would be an exception to this, as it was an all-girls academy. 
you would be deeply mistaken. I waited outside with the assistant while the girl Friday attempted to interview the headmistress, Miss Horsham. Her expression as she came out the door did not suggest that my nap schedule was likely to return to normal very soon. No dice. Nothing. Miss Horsham was quite frosty. Mm, can't say I'm surprised. She's probably been deluged. She's had a few Sabians boys through, and she's expecting more. But I think we're still ahead of the curve on this one. It won't last. No, it won't. She was on the phone as I was leaving, arranging for extra security. An hour from now, you won't be able to get within a hundred yards of this place. Maybe we should go talk to the father. And spend the night in lockup when Sabian spots us? No, thank you. Tell me, if you were inclined to cut class and smoke cigarettes, where do you think you'd do it? At a regular school? Round back by the loading doors. At Pompous High here? Who knows? I think I'll take King for a little stroll back to the loading doors. You? Shouldn't I go? They're not going to talk to you. You think a bunch of teenage girls are going to talk to you? I think a bunch of teenage girls are going to come over to pet the dog. Are they interested in a man their father's age in a rumpled suit? They are not. But they are interested in seeing if the man is interested in them, and the dog is an excuse. And when they find out that the man is actually a private detective, which sounds ever so much more manly than wealthy industrialist, they will be very keen indeed to spill any secrets Sarah Brindle might have had, if there are any to be known, and if she is in fact a member of their little Hellcat Club. You sound like you've done this before. I do, don't I? Come on, King. I don't know if you've ever been subjected to the indignity of having half a dozen teenaged girls rubbing your belly at the same time. But for the sake of my assistant's theory, and in the name of getting this over with, I tried to make like I enjoyed it. As it happens, he was right. There was a good deal of preening and posing taking place in and around the general area of the belly rubs. But I tried not to draw attention to it by allowing a generous pool of drool to accumulate near my open mouth and glazing my eyes over in a near-perfect simulation of one whose keen senses have been overwhelmed with pleasure. Before I knew it, the interrogation was over and the girls were giggling over one of my assistant's business cards as they made their way back into Havshire School. Well? Well what? Told you they wouldn't talk to you. Oh, yes? I hate you. That's probably fair. I'm starting to think that you might be right, though. About hating you? No, the other thing. What other thing? The Sarah Brindle thing. What'd you get? None of them would say they don't think Miss Brindle was kidnapped. After all, it said so in the paper, so it must be true. Granted. But she does have a fella. And? A secret fella. A fella daddy wouldn't like. For Pete's sake, Jack, they're 17. They all have secret fellas daddy wouldn't like. Even the ones that have not-so-secret fellas that daddy does like. This I grant you. So what makes this one so special? He's both dreamy and poor. Not what you or I would call poor, I'm certain. He works in a fish market, but it belongs to his father. Apparently his name is Ken. The son or the father? The son. The boyfriend. The suspect, what have you. What's the name of the fish market? Captain Nemo's. It's on Vine. Captain Nemo was a submariner, not a fisherman. Jules Verne and I both know this, and we both agree it is at least somewhat beside the point. All right, but before we're done, I'm going to slap someone over that one. That's tough, but fair. Listen, let's get back to the car. I think I see some of Miss Horsham's extra security starting to circle the wagons. And so the assistant, the girl Friday and I, returned to the comfortable confines of my assistant's automobile, where... Having been cruelly kept awake for most of the early afternoon, I found myself without even the strength to ride with my head out the window. It was just as well, because the congregation of fish shops near the top of Vine Street didn't present any sort of nosegay, even in the chill of the early spring air. It is at this point that our narrative enters into the realm of conjecture, 
as my able assistant insisted upon making his inquiries within Captain Nemo's fresh fish without the steady hand of the team's lead investigator. I was forced to wait on the opposite sidewalk with the girl Friday, under the cover of sniffing a fire plug, which I was obliged to provide. From as near as I have been able to reconstruct the encounter within the shop, it must have happened something like this. Hello. Would some or all of you gentlemen like to hit me in the face? Arr, get in me, Harveys! Wait. Wait, wait, wait. I have allowed this to continue thus far, but tell the story properly. All right, but I know funny. Just look, I got this part, okay? Knock yourself out, kid. Hello. Morning. How can I help you? Is Kenny in today? Get the door, Mike. What is this? Teddy, Dex, get out here. Well, well. Captain Nemo, your deckhands have been taking their vitamins, haven't they? Maybe they have, smart guy, but you're the one that's about to get his medicine. Oh, and I didn't think fishmongers knew how to banter. <coughs> we know how to do a lot more than that, mister. So I see. Listen, I don't mean to belittle you as individuals or as a group, but part of what I do often includes hurting people, sometimes badly, and you gentlemen are trying my patience just now. Is that a fact? My, what a lovely revolver. Do you often stick up your customers? You ain't a customer. Fine, I'll take two guppies to go. I'm on a diet. You don't shut up. You'll be eating nothing but lead. Oh, shut up, Grandpa. If you were going to shoot me, you'd have done it by now. So maybe instead you'd like to tell me what Kenny's done that you have to get your shorts so far into a knot when somebody asks for him by name. He's my son, my only son, and he hasn't done anything. Then where is he? I don't know, and I wouldn't tell you if I did. Now I'll ask the questions here. All right, shoot. I, I mean... Poor choice of words. Ask away. Well... Uh, not as easy as it looks, is it, Pops? Maybe you should let me ask. I get more practice in. Kenny's not here, but he's supposed to be. And he told you some people might come looking around for him, and you weren't supposed to tell them anything. Am I right? So what if you are? But you had to get creative, didn't you, Captain Nemo? You couldn't just play dumb. You had to try and turn the tables on me. And in the process, you've told me plenty. What do you mean? You told me Kenny's in trouble. You told me he's not here or at home, but he's still in town, probably nearby. And you've told me he's a complete amateur. You're both just lucky I don't mean to do him any harm. You'd never get a chance to do him harm. You hear me, tough guy? I had to call the cops. You can't call the cops. You don't know what he's done. He hasn't done anything. That's just where you're wrong, pal. If you don't drop the cowboy routine, and I mean pronto, your little boy could wind up in more trouble than he knows what to do with. Now it's your choice. Yeah, it's my choice, tough guy, and I ought to drop you right here. You are listening to Blackjack Justice from DecoderRingTheater.com. It is without surprise, though with some dismay, that I note the level to which my contributions to the fighting of crime are underestimated or taken entirely for granted by my able assistant and trusty girl Friday. Perhaps I should be more insistent on getting my due, but it often helps to fly under the radar. Some occasions require a subtle approach, and neither of my humans have ever been accused of a mastery of the soft touch. But now, my assistant was clearly in over his head, and it was time for action. 
I suppose if you asked her about it, the girl Friday would probably tell you that it was her idea to break from our vantage point across the street and set me loose into Captain Nemo's fresh fish. In the end, it didn't matter what she thought, as long as she played her part properly. Where did that mutt come from? Precious. Precious, come back to Mummy. Lady, get out of here. I'm so terribly sorry. He's not normally so excitable. Precious! You don't understand. Get your mutt and get out of here. Mutt? Mutt? How dare you say such a thing? I ought to shove this Beretta halfway up your nose for that. Holy cats! Don't get excited, Pops. The rest of you get down on the floor. All of you. What's the matter, Pookie? The 45 too subtle for you? Down! How was that for an entrance? You were all right. Rin Tin Tin here was excellent. But the nice, quiet conversation kind of went out the window, didn't it? He had you at gunpoint. And the fact you could see that from across the road didn't suggest he was new at this? Yeah, you're right, Flattop. Nobody was ever shot by an amateur. I wasn't going to shoot him, I swear it! Kenny told his old man that there might be some people looking for him, and he should play dumb. Sounds like Kenny's seen the papers. He coming himself or phone in, Pops? Why should I tell you anything? Because we may be the only players on the board that don't want a piece of your son's hide. Well, then what do you want? Ideally, we'd like freedom and mercy to prevail and for it to rain whiskey. But if we can't get that, we'll settle for getting paid. I, I don't have much. Take what's in the till if you want. He has no idea what's going on, does he? He does not. We are not robbing you, Smedley. We are also not gangsters, and you would do well to remember that you drew on me first. We're going to be on our way now. I am taking nothing but the bullets from your gun, and I am leaving my card on the counter. If you hear from Kenny, tell him to give me a call before it's too late, and he just might come out of this all right. We should make tracks. Leash up, precious. I'm right behind you. Let's keep moving, shall we? Just getting my bearings. This way. Car's back here. Yeah, but that's all commercial. I'm looking for something a little more residential. Ah, jeez. What is it? I forgot to slap somebody for the Captain Nemo thing. Oh, the day's still young. Where are we going, anyway? Even if the cops are hunkered down waiting for a ransom demand that isn't coming, when word gets to Sabian about our little standoff at the OK Fish Stand, he's going to get interested in a hurry. We're losing our lead. That's because you left him your card, genius. They'd have figured out it was us sooner or later, Trix. Easier to back up our eventual assertion that we meant no harm if we identified ourselves, yes? It's an interesting point. We go to jail a lot less since you went and got domesticated. It's not flowers and candy, but I do what I can. Let's try up here. What in blazes are we doing? Sarah Brindle is a publishing heiress at a fancy prep school. Meaning she doesn't know beans all about actually living. Exactly right. And Kenny works in Daddy's store. Maybe he's still in school, maybe he's not. But the nearest high school is just up at Brimble. So he may be more streetwise than Miss Brindle, but only within a six-block radius. More or less. The way Papa Bear got his back up, Baby Bear isn't much more than a cub in his eyes. And he really didn't know where Junior was. Does Kenny lives at home? I think he did. And I think right now he doesn't. So we're looking for a love shack. You want to rethink that choice of phrase? I really do. Thank you. So what we want to find is an apartment or a basement flat somewhere in Kenny's comfort zone that was for rent two days ago and isn't now. So we're looking for a sign that only recently came down. Well, when you put it like that, it seems a little bit futile, doesn't it? You know, I believe it does. Hey, King, get back here. You have to give the kids their due. That was some pretty decent deducing but they dropped the ball at the last possible moment. Who would observe such a minute detail as a for-rent sign coming down? Somebody with a lot of time on his hands who never went inside. There was a bum on the step of the empty warehouse across the street, and I pulled the reluctant girl Friday right to him on the pretense of making friends. 
Soon enough, even my slow-witted humans had the general idea and had learned that half a block away there was a split level with three units in it. The top floor had been vacant for half a year, until yesterday. If it wasn't a lead, it was the closest thing we were likely to find. And either way, that meant I was one step closer to a nap on the red leather couch. Yes? I'm here to read the meter. Oh, what meter? What meter, he says. You're a funny guy, kid. Look, it's just routine. This apartment's been empty for a long time. Now you move in and we gotta read the meter. Ah, uh, I, I don't know what meter you mean. What meter, I mean. The gas meter. The stove is electric. Well, then it must be for the heat. That's electric, too. It is, huh? Yes. Kid, you're lucky I came around when I did. Why's that? Well, if the gas isn't going to the stove or the heating plant, then where is it going? I don't think... It could be filling up the whole apartment even as we speak. Filling up the... Really? It's completely odorless, you know. You just go to sleep and never wake up. Really? Or worse, we get to the right fuel-to-air ratio and one stray spark could blow the whole place to kingdom come. It could? If the meter's not moving, you're probably all right. But otherwise, you might only have a few minutes. Well, you'd better come in and check. Thanks, kid. Don't mind if I do. Say, aren't things like meters usually in the basement? That's an interesting question, kid. You probably should have asked that a little earlier. Don't shoot! I have no interest in shooting, but keep your hands where I can see them. Come on in, you two. To who? Kenny, meet the girl detective in the crime-fighting dog deluxe. Oh, hello there, Kenny. My, fresh-faced, isn't he? Down, girl. What do you want? Well, if you're going to pitch me softballs... We don't have much money. We don't, do we? You're as bad at this as your father, and that's saying something. Where is she, Kenny? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, you can call me Trixie. What? The underage publishing heiress that you newly shacked up with, Ken. The one whom Daddy's paper says has been kidnapped. You saw that little headline, didn't you, Ken? You can get out of this without doing federal time. And if you play smart, maybe you don't even get wrapped on the statute. But that girl leaves with us now. Where is she? I won't go back. You can't make me go back. Miss Brindle, I presume. Put the gun down, Peaches. Sarah, be careful. I won't go back. You aren't going to shoot me. You work for my father. Technically, we're free agents, but you're right. We'd rather bring you back in one piece. You're after that reward. You'll never get it. I wasn't kidnapped at all. Yeah, we gathered as much. The odds are good that Papa Brindle guessed as much, too. But the reward was offered for your return. It didn't specify from where or whom. See, if your father hollers kidnap, he gets the mighty wheels of law and order spinning. And he can pick up a few talented mercenaries like us with the largest reward and keep your reputation intact. <laughs> reputation... That's all he cares about. It doesn't matter. We're in love. We're going to get married. You're a few months shy there, Romeo. If you'd waited half a year... Half a year? Ah, oh, youth. Look, we found you, and we've done harder things this week. We're only first because we cheated. The cops will either shoot Kenny dead as a kidnapper or bring him up on charges at the demand of Papa Brindle. And if you think she'll wait for you to get out of that pokey, you haven't known many teen hellcats. You take that back. Oh, Tiger, flex some more. I mean it, mister. Take that back right now. No, Ken, I don't think I will. My 45 and I think that we'll say whatever we want whenever we want. This is your one and only chance. We don't care about either of you, but we do have to get paid. You'll never get your money. I won't be humiliated like this. I'd rather end it all right here. Sarah! Kenton, put that gun down right now. Or what? You'll shoot me to keep me from shooting myself? That's right. If you think I can't take the gun out of your hand before you use it, you're wrong. But it ain't like the cowboy pictures. Odds are I'd blow most of your hand off in the process. You might not be worth the whole 15 grand like that, but it'll have to do. 
And you'll have to go back to the Havshire School a cripple. Oh, God. Sarah, please. If I may make an interjection in the name of expediency. What? We don't have a lot of time here. If the cops get here first, we're all done. Miss Brindle, your father wants you back. Is there any particularly compelling reasons why that can't happen, teen angst notwithstanding? What? He's asking if there's been abuse. Uh, oh, God, no! Ew! Nothing like that. Very well. I propose that we cut you in. What? Cut us in? Cut her in. I don't need you. But... She is our quarry, and she has the gun. You are the frail flower of youth we are trying to keep out of prison just now. Your payout is her problem. I'm listening. Equal thirds. Five thousand each for Miss Dixon and myself. This is my partner, Miss Dixon, by the way. Trixie, please. And five thousand for you, Miss Brindle. In cash as soon as your father's check clears. That way, when you come of age, you and Kenny will have a nice little nest egg. Won't have to start up quite so rustic. Just in case Daddy doesn't approve. Well, that's wonderful. But it's so long to wait. Oh, Ken. A person can do a lot with money like that. Hmm, I can see those Hellcat wheels turning. Sorry, Kenny. Well, Miss Brindle? I ought to have more than 5000 I ought to have ten. Sarah? No can do. Our operation will have to pay tax on the entire amount. We give you more than five, we don't make a decent return on the operation. What would you tell my father? The truth. Acting on an anonymous tip, we found you in the empty warehouse down the way. You were unharmed but unconscious when we found you, and we have no idea who your abductors were. You can make up whatever story you like. But if they ever make an arrest, we blow the story. So I suggest you keep it vague. All right, mister. We'll play it your way. All right. I guess we can wait a few months, can't we, Sarah? What? Oh, sure can, of course. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Listen, Kenny, if this doesn't work out the way you hope, here's my card. Sometimes it can help to talk. You know, talk. Oh, by the way, <coughs> Captain Nemo was a submariner. See ya. You done? For the time being. Funny, I assumed you meant slap someone's face. I assumed as much myself. Funny, that. And that was more or less how it went. A quick check of the supposed crime scene to pick up a few details, a short stop at the Brindle spread, and some screaming on the part of Lieutenant Sabian, and we had our reward. Sarah Brindle got her cut, as promised. She managed to blow all of it before she turned 18. The assistant had a little spare change to spend on his lady friend. The girl Friday amused herself with a rebounding Kenny for a few days. And man's best friend finally got his great reward. An uninterrupted three-hour nap on the red leather couch. And it's about bloody time. Blackjack Justice, episode 41, Man's Best Friend, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Julie Florio, Eric Fournier, Clarissa Dunetterlanden, Hans Messerschmidt, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. Again, that was episodes 40 and 41, The Albatross and Man's Best Friend, produced by Decoder Ring Theater. For more information, episodes, and series, visit DecoderRingTheater.com. 
And don't forget the script competition for our MAT features of 2018 has its deadline on February 4th. So check out our webpage at MidnightAudioTheater.com for more competition info and for all of our past episodes and features. I'm Kathy Ranella signing off, and thank you for tuning in. Coming up next is the BBC World News.